Gracious Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you for passages like this. We pray that we would be open to learning more from your word this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would show us things that we'd not seen before. And that we'd be open to hearing them, checking them against your word. And Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is the best teacher because he caused it to be written in the first place. So Lord, we pray now we'd have open minds, open hearts, and we might be ready to put into practice what we hear this morning. Amen. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat on it on the lake while the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other soil, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but to those outside everything is, in, is said in parables, so that they may be seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows, sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away the word that is sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You know, sometimes we're convinced we know something really, really well. And yet, 
certain things have become set in people's minds that just aren't true. Quotations have been distorted. Take that famous one from Hamlet. Alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. We all think that's the play, don't we? We all think those are the words. No, it's not. It's alas, poor Yorick, I knew him, Horatio. The famous one from Casablanca. Play it again, Sam. It's not in that film anywhere. I've watched it enough times, I know. It's you played it for her, play it for me. (laughs) That's what's actually said by the Humphrey Bogart character. And yet sort of these things go down into our subconsciousness and we think we know them. And we think we know all about parables. We've grown up with the idea that they are a story which has a heavenly meaning, a story rooted in everyday life that has a spiritual connotation, a story which Jesus told so it was easy for the simple folk in the crowd to understand and hear. But that misses the whole point of this this passage. We actually have to miss out a huge bit of what Christ says here. The passage starts with the word again. It seems that Mark is using that to again sort of show that Jesus is still in teaching mode. We've had bits of teaching which have come out of more out of circumstance. We've had the bit where he was accused by the teachers of the law of casting out demons by Beelzebub or Satan we've had the moment where his mothers and brothers have sort of come and try to uh, sort of stop his ministry almost we we see as we look back and Jesus has I'm quite sure and I said this last week doesn't reject his mother for a second he wouldn't have done he kept the law in its fullness so he would have kept the commandment on his, his parents but he makes the point that there is a new family, the kingdom of God, those who obey God's teaching. But the word again here is used because we're in a section of Mark's which separates it from the last one. A lot of what we've seen in the first part of Mark has been about Jesus' authority, his, his authority over people, his authority over evil spirits, his authority as a teacher, his authority to forgive sins. Now we get onto a section where we see four parables. So we have to understand them. We have to sort of get rid of our preconceptions and actually understand what parables are for. And here's a rather strange thing. It's not exactly perhaps what we've been taught by well-meaning Sunday school teachers in some cases. I've got three points which illustrate parables and will help us go through the passage. Medium, method, meaning. The first, medium. We're going to tackle that question What is a parable? Is it something that's easy to understand? Well, we actually have to go to the centre of the passage here. 
Notice uh, in verse um, 10, we see that when he was alone, the 12 and others around him, there would have been the 12 apostles and there would have been other disciples, they come to Jesus and they ask him about the parables. Well, that tells us something. They obviously haven't understood what they're about. So what are they about? Well, he makes a point. Verse 11. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything is said in parables, so they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. That quote's an interesting quote, and I read part of that at the start of the service, where Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord in the temple. Isaiah 6, if you want to look it up when you're going home. At home. And the Lord issues a challenge. Who will take a message to the people? And Isaiah, after being reticent, because he realises he's a sinful man, after his sin's been taken away, he says, I'll go. I'll go. And the Lord gives him the most depressing message you could imagine. <laughs> it's not good. It's bad. The kingdom's in turmoil. It's actually the year King Uzziah died. He'd been a good king, but he came to a... A sad end when he succumbed to pride and took on priestly duties and he ended up isolated with leprosy. Lord's judgment on him. Did something he wasn't supposed to do. So the nation's in a mess. There's not going to be a good king on the throne. And basically Isaiah's given a message of judgment. And he's so... Yeah, crumbs, you know, I'd, I'd hate to have been an Old Testament prophet worse than being a pastor you didn't have much good news most of the time Isaiah's sort of reaction is what have I signed up for because he says how long do I have to give this message to these people so the Lord says well the next bit of good news is until everyone's taken into exile the nation's been you know conquered but it makes a point and this is important Disciples, you know, we have to get away from this. Often people talk about the disciples as sort of thick fishermen and stuff like that. They were people who knew their scripture. You only have to read 1 Peter to see he wasn't a thick fisherman. He knew his scripture. They would have known this passage and they know that God will reserve a people for him. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He actually doesn't say it's hopeless. Verse 9, Jesus said, this is after he's told the parable, he who has ears, let him hear. There's a responsibility on the listener. And then Jesus explains to those he has chosen. Now that's important. 
And it's something that's not understood today. If anyone is a Christian, they are a product of God's grace. And grace is something that's extended because it's not deserved. I heard some years ago a good definition of grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve in a good way. And this is the point. Jesus in his grace calls people to him. If you want to understand the scripture... If you want to know God, it is not about what you are going to do by good works or anything. We'll get on to it. That's important. I'm going to, we're going to look at that later. But it's about God's action first before anything else will happen in your life. So call out to him. So that's the first point. Jesus says, this is what happens. I preach a parable or I preach the word and people don't necessarily get it you know we had a prime example of this a couple of weeks ago just look back in the passage if you've got it open I'm going to read it anyway verse 22 of the former chapter verse chapter 3 and the teachers of the law who'd come down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Teachers of the law, Deuteronomy 13, they were to check out any new teacher. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And they come down and they hear all the teaching of Jesus, all the teaching that we've been reading in Mark's Gospel. They see all the miracles and the good things he's doing, And they say it's all of Satan. We shouldn't be surprised when the gospel is dismissed. We shouldn't be surprised in a day and age where Christianity comes under attack. It happened here. And these were religious leaders. We shouldn't be surprised when it comes from attack inside the church where we think it should be defended. Jesus clashed with the religious leaders of his day. People don't necessarily get the good news when it is preached. It takes an act of grace, but more about that later. So that's why Jesus uses this quote to illustrate what he's saying. But within that, the disciples knowing where this would have come from and almost certainly knowing the passage, there is hope that God calls people to him. So that's the medium. Secondly, the method. Jesus tells something. Now this is where parables, I think, are interesting. Jesus uses illustrations that people would have seen and understood. And he uses them because there is a responsibility on everyone to respond to the word when they hear it, when they hear the gospel preached. It's a simple story. Farming communities and the kind of economic situation you would have had in Israel where it was very much 
based around farming and stuff like that, they would have understood it. The sower goes out, we might think he's being a bit careless, but if you've ever seen them sowing in those eastern countries, they throw it wide. And it gets carried by the wind and it goes all over the place. And basically, we've got four different soils for the seed to fall on. And three fail. Some fall, as Jesus says, on the path. Well, the birds get that pretty quickly, don't they? Some falls on rocky ground. And it grows a bit, but there's not enough soil, so when the sun comes up and there's no moisture, it dies quickly. Some falls among the thorns, but it really is choked by the thorns taking all the goodness out of the soil and quickly dies. But some falls on good soil and it multiplies very, very quickly. That's the picture that Jesus uses. And there is something that it would have caught the attention of the crowd. But getting back to my original point, there's a responsibility for people to respond. So that's the method. But what's the meaning? Disciples have a problem. We've been through that. They come to Jesus. Jesus says, right, well, okay. Let's explain this because we're going to have a few more parables and you're going to need to understand, think and understand them and the method for which they're preached. So Jesus does explain it. The seed, very simply, is the gospel. The farmer, as it was, or God, or Jesus, who would have been represented by the farmer, sows the word. As it says here in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path. Verse 15, where the word is sown, they soon hear it. Satan comes and takes the word that is sown in them. I've engaged with many people over the years who come up to me and say, it's very interesting what you said. We had a few at Christmas come in. One guy in particular said, very interesting what you said. I haven't seen him since. I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's going to another church. Who knows? But the likelihood is that if he came here, he heard it and, well, we pray that it may take root. But it hasn't yet. And that's the problem, isn't it? Some people are very, very quick to dismiss the word when they hear it. I, I've got a fascinating, if you really, you've got to see this, I, I think it's on my um, Facebook page, you know, I think I put it on the Facebook page, I perhaps ought to put it on the church one as well, but I think it is on the church one actually. Um, it's a fascinating 10 minute testimony. It was about a guy who read the God delusion 
And he then thought, well, you know, after a time he was sort of convinced atheist and he thought, well, actually, I'm priding myself on my science and my thinking and my rational thinking, but I've never actually looked at Christianity. So I'll play it safe. I'll watch a debate between, you know, Stephen Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion, and John Lennox. It undermined everything he'd read in The God Delusion. He actually, the title of the, the clip, the YouTube clip, is something like how, how I came to faith through, you know, <laughs> Dawkins, basically. You see, there's a wonderful end to that. He, he suddenly started to realise that many Christians are rational people. Now, once you start to look at it, the mankind state, the Bible does make sense. But how long... The word was kept from him because he just wanted to put his, you know, put his heart and mind in the safe area and dismiss it just like that. And many people do, don't they? What about the second? Well, some are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. They hear it. This is verse 15. Uh, we've had that one haven't we Satan comes and takes it right verse 16 others like the seed on rocky places they hear the word and at once receive it with joy but since they have no root they last only a short time what's going on here what is this people often talk about Christians that fall away Jesus actually doesn't allow for that here they had no root it's a superficial belief isn't it I've known them over the years, people who've been in the youth group or something like that, and they come and they seem to have great joy as they hear the gospel, but they never really commit. They never really engage with God's word. They never seek to dig deeper. And the point is, they don't have a root. And if you don't have a root, you're very easily uprooted, aren't you? In fact, you have very little root at all doesn't take much to get you out does it and that's the issue isn't it they don't engage the emotion of the time or the emotion of the conversion is what seems to keep them going for a time but things are lost very very quickly other things intrude on it, as it were. Materialism. Family. Nothing wrong with family. Family's God-given. It's a gift. It's wonderful. But you can place too much on it. Work. Takes us away from our devotion to the Lord. And they don't get rooted in the Word and in Christ. What about the last seed that fail, fails? Well, still others, seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth and desires, and other things choke the word, making it unfruitful. Like the others, they again have everything sapped out of them. When times get difficult, 
Actually, that's really the way applied on the other one. When you have no root, it becomes an issue. Some years ago, um, a guy called Rico Tice developed a, um, a course called Christianity Explored. Now, he, he, he developed it because there was a very popular other course out, which is, gets a lot of publicity. I won't tell you what it is. And he went along to listen to it, and he, as a Christian, listened to what was taught. And he said there were two problems with this course. Two things where he felt it failed. It didn't teach the wrath and judgment of God. Some people might think, well, what's wrong with that? You know, you don't want too much about God being angry, do we? But he said it didn't. It's actually it's a major flaw because the Bible does talk about it. It also talks about God's considerable love as well. But the Bible talks about it. So if we don't understand that God will judge, what are we saved from? And it doesn't teach grace. And grace is important. Why is grace so important? One, because we have to understand that we are undeserving of being saved in the first place. But here's the thing. Grace is about how we stand up as Christians. When the storms of life come, when it gets difficult, if it's all about us, we get knocked for six. I remember having a very long conversation with a Christian minister who'd had a situation, I think I used this recently, but it's a very good thing to use again because it, it does illustrate this well. They, he and his wife had had a child who was now in her teenage years. They tried again, twice, miscarriages both times. His wife was now pregnant again, rather wonderfully. Everything was okay in the end, but it was a time fraught with tension. It was, you know, we think of the joy of a child coming into the world and stuff like that, but every time, you know, when she didn't feel right, you know, what was going on? Is it going to be all right? And we talked about it, and I'd been through a difficult time at the time, and we came to this conclusion if you understand the world is a difficult place, you understand that the world is ruined by man's sin, but you understand that you have a caring and loving God who has saved you and brought you into his family and given you something well beyond what you deserve, it won't stop the pain, but it will help you understand the grace and the love of God. I met someone on the street the other day. They're going through a very bad time. I've urged them to come and have a word with me. I think they probably will. They've been around church things for quite a while. Pray they do and pray they understand that even in the difficult times we can see God's hand. I, I can remember that when my brother Peter died so many years ago, he was only 29, um, my dad would speak about God's goodness at that time. They were able to be with him. I'll share a bit now, actually, because I think it is important. 
they actually had a situation where the car was in the garage. They had no transport when they were told he was in hospital down at Kent. We were in Essex at the time. As my dad stood by the phone and said to Mum, what on earth are we going to do to get down there? The phone rang and someone said, I hear you're without a car at the moment. Would you like to borrow ours? When they got to Maidstone, I think it's Maidstone, they had no idea where the hospital was. You don't. There was no sat-nav. We're talking, you know, 40 years ago. As they were in a car which wasn't theirs, a taxi suddenly signaled, pulled over in front of them and signalled. It was Mum's brother-in-law who then guided them through to the hospital. It didn't take away the pain, but it showed that God is a loving and caring God. When we don't understand grace, we are like those with little root or those who get bogged down by the cares and difficulties and everything that clutters in on our world. If we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, if we don't say he is the reason for our salvation, and it's not about us and what we do, then we will never have that foundation. However, <laughs> Jesus ends on the positive note. Others are like good soil. They hear the word and accept it and they produce a crop 30, 60 or even 100 times that which was sown. Now, I actually take great comfort from that. Because I sometimes wonder how on earth my Christian life could be multiplied in that way. And yet we are so often unaware of what happens One of the things that I'm constantly amazed at is the opportunities I have had to share the gospel with people since I've been here. Through quite small things. At the moment, I think I told you, I'm preparing thought for the day for Flame Radio. Community radio goes out to over one and a half million up in the world world at the moment. A chance to share some evangelistic messages. Do pray for that trying to get you know, a good, concise message in three minutes or two minutes. It's not easy. It takes multiple attempts because <laughs> you suddenly realise you've spent too long on one example or something like that and everything's off bands. There's been great opportunities, even in Stony, where it's so difficult. There's been great opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Pray for increase. You don't understand. I don't think we understand how our prayers are seen in heaven. We really don't. I challenge people again. I I did when we started Mark's Gospel. I'm doing it from the front. I've got no difficulty with using the pulpit. But I'm doing it from the front. If people wander in for the first time, it's a bit easier to have a bloke just talking to them rather than doing that from the pulpit. Pray for that. That we continue to think who we might invite to come along. Or just pray, if you can't think of anyone to pray, just pray for it. It can be multiplied. I remember the story of a landlady. She had a young Hindu who was working at Lloyd's London. She prayed for him. She wasn't, by her own admission, she, she wasn't good at talking to people with the gospel. She prayed for him. I think she actually died, but she got other people to pray for him. 
One day when he was out and about, he saw a lot of people going into a building. It happened to be a church, he didn't realise that. He went in and he heard the gospel. He was converted. He went on to have a worldwide ministry as an evangelist, which has affected many, many other people. You might not think that God can multiply your life and your witness, but he can. Even if it's just through prayer. So pray for the opportunities, pray for the increase, pray to the Lord of the harvest. What are we to conclude? Well, I want to conclude something which I think is very important for us as Christians because we can be great at saying we believe in the grace of God, but we often just try and do everything ourselves. We are to look to God in this. Jesus explained to these people because they were the ones who were picked by him. If you're perhaps in a situation where you've heard the gospel and you're struggling with it, you want to know more. Perhaps you've been listening to this and you think, yeah, Jesus does. It's interesting, isn't it, what Jesus does and how he does it and how Mark says that. And the Lord's starting to speak to you in some way. Pray to him. You see, Jesus gives it away where the responsibility comes. You know, there's a danger. Some people say, well, if, if God is gracious and he reaches out to us, which actually makes perfect sense to us, sense really with his love. But, you know, do we have to do anything? What does Jesus say? Jesus says this. He who has ears, let him hear. The responsibility to respond to the gospel is our responsibility. But let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray now. Gracious Lord, we just pray as we've looked at this passage and the challenge it presents. We just pray that we be those who look to you in each and everything and realise it is by grace that we've been saved. That's not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not by our works. So Lord, we pray that we would look to you in each and everything. We might pray to you as the Lord of the harvest to bring increase. And we might realise that you can multiply work even when it's not visible to us. Lord, we would pray for this place, we pray for a witness, and we pray for our witness each week. We also pray if we are struggling to understand, we would turn to you, seek to be forgiven, and know the blessing that comes when you bring us into your family. Amen. <coughs>